on this very night on every continent in our world and in every nation around that world, they're telling this very same story. The amazing thing when you think about the story of Christmas is how simple it is. If I had been the writer, I would have expounded upon many features in the story, and yet that Dr. Luke, with careful research, records the entire story. It took 1,500 years to write the books that talked about the coming of Jesus. We call that the Old Testament, 39 books. It took 27 books to reflect back on the implications of that. We call that the New Testament, that God has sent His Son, and He is here. And yet when we come to the message of those 66 book library, there is only one theme, and that's the baby that is in the manger. It's the theme of Jesus the Christ. But the shocker of that is that all of history from Genesis 3.15 and the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. That for all of those hundreds of years, it all focused on one crisis moment in human history. And that is that God in grace would become a man and would enter the world just like every other human being. He would be born of a woman. 44 verses cover that amazing event. Now, he's a master writer. I, I kind of went through it again. Dr. Luke did a careful research. He visited with people. He asked questions. He wrote it down, and he arranged it. He basically tells those 44-verse story in seven significant movements. Movement number one is Gabriel, from the presence of God, comes all the way to Nazareth to meet with a young woman who's engaged to be married and does not yet know a man. Movement number two, Mary visits her relative Elizabeth down in the Judean region, thus getting confirmation that this pregnancy that has taken place is in fact the work of a sovereign God. Movement number three, 1,500 miles removed from Nazareth, all the way over in Rome, the capital of the world of that day, a Caesar declared that we need to have some metrics on the population of our kingdom. And so he instructs all the way there that every citizen would go to the family home city and there they would register. Movement number four. Moses, I'm sorry, Joseph and Mary travel 90 miles in the eighth or ninth month of her pregnancy to Bethlehem. A journey with a healthy couple of four to five days. Who knows how long it took. Movement number five. An unnamed angel comes to the shepherds in the fields and announces to them the birth of their Savior. I'm thinking if I was Dr. Luke and I'm asking people for intimate details, I would have, I would have queried somebody about what was the name of the angel that came? We, we know who came to Mary. We know who came to Joseph. What was the name of the angel? But it, it's not important. It's the message, not the messenger. Movement number six. Upon the completion of the delivery of the message that has been waited for for hundreds and hundreds of years since Genesis 3.15 promise was made, suddenly the sky is lit up 
with praise and glory by angelic host. Movement number seven. The shepherds who have received the word agree among themselves that they must go and confirm that this report is true. They go to Bethlehem. And the only indicator that they have the right baby in the right place is that he is wrapped in swaddling claws and he is laying in a manger. No radiant glow, no halo above his head. It's just simply a baby in a feed bunk. Rather prophetic, might say, because within 33 years, that same body would be once again wrapped. And we'd be laid once again in a borrowed bed. Now, the interesting thing about this seven movements, as Luke records it, these 44 verses, is that, that two major themes that thread the Scripture together. I've always said, I hope, I hope God allows me to live long enough so that I can, I can start to tie together all of those threads that hold Genesis and Revelation together as one story. But in that manger, two of those threads intersected. The first one was the story of the Lamb. The story of the Lamb in the Old Testament began with Abel in Genesis chapter 4. And he brought from his flocks, for he was a, a keeper of flocks, and he brought a sacrifice to the Lord. In Genesis chapter 22, we find out that Abraham, in obedience to God, takes the son that he had waited through all those years, and God said, I, I want you to offer your son as a sacrifice to me, as a, de a declaration that, that I am more important to you than anything else in the world. And right before he lowers the knife, an angel stops his wrist, and he finds a ram caught in the thickets. The story continues in the book of Exodus in the 12th chapter. The children of Israel have been four centuries in slavery in Egypt. And yet God commands that each family would take one lamb, a spotless lamb, and they would offer that lamb as a sacrifice, and they would take the blood from the lamb, and they would paint it on the doorframe of their house. Because God said that on that night, the death angel was going to fly over, and anybody who did not have the blood applied, it wasn't enough to select the lamb, it wasn't enough to kill the lamb, it wasn't enough to have a feast of the lamb, and it wasn't enough to even collect the blood until the blood was applied as a testimony, and the death angel passed over. We see it again in Leviticus chapter 16, where the brother of Moses is declared to be the high priest, and there is a annual day of atonement. One day out of the year, they would bring the sacrifices, they would bring the offerings, and that God would allow on the basis of a lamb that died in their place would allow the high priest and only the high priest to go into the inner chamber, the Holy of Holies, and there could meet in the presence of God. Isaiah chapter 53 picks that theme up again, and it says, all of us just like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every single one of us to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. John the Baptist is going to pick this up 30 years later. And as they're standing on the shores of the muddy Jordan River, he's standing there with what would soon become the disciples of Jesus. But right now they're John's disciples. And he points and he said, Behold, there goes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
the shepherds came to a stable. And in the stable, they saw the thread of the Lamb of God find its fulfillment in the baby that was wrapped in line in the crib. But the interesting thing is that there is a second thread, and they, they intersect amazingly right in this context. It's the story of the shepherds. Again, it began in Genesis chapter 4 where it says Abel was a keeper of the flocks. It moves on to this grandson of Abraham. Abraham and Isaac were both really good shepherds. And they, but his grandson uh, Jacob was a master at breeding sheep, so much so that his brother-in-laws became jealous of him and thought that he was so successful he must be stealing their flocks. We have the story of Jacob the skillful breeder. And then we have the story of Moses, who one day went out and saw his people being abused, living under the affliction and the harsh treatment of the Egyptians, and he could stand it no longer. And he tried to liberate them in his own strength, and the end result was he got a murder rap, and he spent 40 years in exile herding sheep for his father-in-law as preparation for 40 years of leading the children of Israel like a shepherd through the wilderness. And then Psalm 78 talks about the joy of God when he finds David, the shepherd boy, in the sheep fields, and he called him to shepherd his people Israel. There is this theme of the lamb that intersects with the theme of the shepherd as the shepherds made their way into the stable in Bethlehem. Now, the prophet Micah is the one that was referenced when King Herod heard that a king had been born to the Jews, and he inquired and said, those of you that know the Old Testament, where is it that he'll be born? And it turns out he was born just five miles removed from where the Herod was ruling in his kingdom. And they went to Micah where it said, and you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is the one that Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah chapter 40 that he would tend his flock like a shepherd. He would gather the lambs in his bosom and he would gently lead those who are young. He's the strong, bold, protective, gentle shepherd. He's the same one that Ezekiel declared when the shepherds of Israel, the kings and the religious leaders of the nation had failed to care for God's people. The, the people were scattered and nobody cared. The people were wounded and nobody ministered to them. Ezekiel said that God is going to provide a shepherd, a good one. And so it's that text that Jesus takes in John chapter 10, 30 years after his birth, and said, I am the shepherd. I am the good one. I will lay down my life for the sheep. These are temple shepherds keeping watch over their flocks just outside of Jerusalem when suddenly they arrive at a barn and their eyes fall upon the lamb who will be the ultimate sacrifice. From that moment on, it's unemployment. In that musty stable, they bowed and they worshipped the lamb of God. But they also welcomed a newborn shepherd. One that would be like themselves. Who would provide for, protect, guide, comfort all of those who were their own. 
And so we said the story of the lamb and the shepherd threads all of the scriptures together from Genesis to the very end in Revelation. It's the one where the 66th book in the library declares it this way, the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, simply having a baby in a crib is not enough. Unless the baby in the crib is also the Christ of the cross, the celebration of Christmas means absolutely nothing at all. What a shame it would be if if you would spend year after year celebrating the birth of Christ but never genuinely coming to know the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd knows your name. The question is, do you know the Good Shepherd's voice? He calling you. The world needs Jesus. You need Jesus. He knows your name. Are you hearing his voice?